The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up this high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from a cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they felt prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from this mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I have to thank all of you for this homily because I, I prepared it listening to you yesterday. There are a few comments that different people made. In fact, one of them I told you, oh, I think I'm going to use that in the homily tomorrow. So uh, you'll get copyrights. Um, we already did the meditation, so I won't kind of talk about some of those truths, but shift to some others. The first phrase is this phrase from Peter. It is good that we are here, right? It's good that we are here. I asked myself, what's good about it, right? It was the goodness of being with God, right? Goodness of being kind of in communion with the Lord, focused on him, kind of meditating, reflecting on his mysteries, on his truths. That was good for Peter and James and and John. Maybe it was that that sense of study and prayer, of learning things like we've been doing through the explanations, through seeing. The communion with the others was good. All of it. All it was was good for their mind, good for their heart, good for their bodies, good food. It's been our experience. This all came from someone saying, you know, it's just so nice to... Everything's just so nice, so good, right? When everything works, everything functions, everything's properly ordered, the truth... You know, this, everything, the pace, maybe not enough sleep, but, you know, it's good. It's all good. And I think that's God-willed and, and something that Jesus wanted to give Peter, James, and John was this experience of the goodness, right? God is good, right? You know that answer all the time, right? And it's true. God is good all the time. But there are particular moments where we touch that and experience that and say, ah, you know, it's like family life. Family life is good. A lot of times it's good. But there are particular moments, you know, when the kids come home for an unexpected weekend or you just a random time around the table and you're like, ah, this is good. You're kind of standing back or maybe you're in the kitchen preparing and you're hearing the noises that you used to hear, but you don't hear them as often today. And it's like, ah, this is good, right? There's moments like that. It's not every day. There's a lot of other more challenging moments of family life, but it's good. 
So I just, that's the point, right? That God is good and shares his goodness with us and wants that goodness. Now, certainly in this life, it's only moments. Uh, and he's preparing us for eternity when that goodness will be permanent, right? Unfortunately, in this life, due to sin, our rebellion, it's not all the time. It's not always apparent. We don't always experience this goodness. But that's why we go on pilgrimage. That's why we go on vacation. That's why we spend time. It's, it's to tap into that goodness that we know is there, but is oftentimes a little fleeting. The second reflection comes from what I love about St. Peter's, this reading. Actually, I didn't know this was going to be the reading, but the idea that's behind it came from one of you yesterday. Love this first phrase. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right? So when Peter is proclaiming the truth he proclaims, his faith, he's clear to say, you know, this is rooted in experiences and reality. This isn't just a, kind of a good philosophy of life. Uh, you know, the Greeks, I'm sure Khalil could tell us, maybe there was some, he was in a Greek village when he said this, and the Greeks obviously had interesting myths, pretty clever. They expressed really uh, fundamental truths of human existence. Uh, a great kind of network uh, of, we talked about Pan, no? all of these myths explaining why the world works the way it does, trying to put order and understand and, and tell stories to give some meaning to things that were quite mysterious to us. But that's not what we follow. Sure, there's some overlap, and sure, there's some truths that coincide, because human beings, when they reflect deeply on the experiences of life, and kind of understand them. They're touching a truth that's definitely there. But what we follow isn't cleverly kind of crafted myths. It's an experience, right? We saw it. We saw Jesus transformed. And that's why we, what we preach, right? Our religion is so much different than any other religion because it's not our man's striving to understand God but our religion is based on God coming down to us and revealing himself to us. It's Jesus coming down onto the mountain and revealing himself. And based on that experience, then we interpret the world. It's not just the world and trying to interpret it because it's a scary thing and we finally want to figure it out. And we come up with this Catholic religion. No, it's God in Judaism and then Christianity who comes down and reveals to us and says, this is the way it is. This is my son. Listen to him. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Listen. Right? This uh, point came to me from, I don't know who, uh, who it was that said it yesterday, but it was just the, the goodness, like being in the places, that was the comments, like just being in these places, like being on the Sea of Galilee, seeing these things, being on the water, uh, just being on oh, the primacy of Peter, the other, just like seeing it and touching it makes such a difference, right? We know these things, we've heard these stories, we've read about them, but then when you're like, oh, wow, that's there and that's there and the Mount of Beatitudes and oh, okay, and right down there is the sea and just seeing it changes it, right? And the phrase that came to me, sorry if this is abstract, but it's a good, solid philosophy 
So I at least know David, uh, David Scalzi will appreciate this Latin phrase, right? Uh, there's a, a phrase of pretty much Western philosophy, right? Aristotle on down, which says the following. Uh, nothing is in the intellect which isn't first in the senses, right? Uh, the Latin phrase is nisi est in intellecto, nothing's in the intellect. Quid non primus, which in first, fuerit in sensu, isn't first in the senses. What that means is everything that we form concepts in our heads about came first through experience, right? Through touching, feeling, smelling, measuring, right? And then we're able to form the abstract concept. We get to know love through experiences of love. We get to know, on the basic level, uh, what a bench is by little kids learning bench. Mom says, that's a bench. And then she points to another bench and two or three benches. And you start to say, yeah, benches must be something you can sit on. And you form this abstract concept. And then, without mom, you're like, oh, there's a bench. I'm going to go sit down, right? Through experience, we form the concepts. Why is this important? And pardon me, is it's important because our faith, kind of like I went in the first point, is rooted in reality and experiences, real life events, transfiguration, right? Peter, James, and John experienced something in first person, and that transformed them, that changed them, that sent them out, right? The apostles that were called had real experiences with Jesus Christ and then went everywhere and lived their life based on that experience. And in the same way, for us here, when we experience it, it changes a lot of things. It changes everything. You're like, ah, that makes sense, right? These ideas, I couldn't quite put them in order until ah, now that I experience it. We don't follow, follow cleverly arranged myths, but experiences. Life-changing moments, right? So my hope is, my prayer is, and the reason I kind of focused on this is to help you understand that Part of the reason this is so impactful is because it's coming to you through your senses, these particular moments. And that brings order into also our interior life. But it's just a moment, just like Peter, James, and John went up, saw Jesus glorified, was one time experienced a, a moment where he saw really the essence of who Jesus was in his glory. And they carried that moment with them down on their way to Jerusalem through the Passion and through the rest of their lives. It's just moments, right? But when you say just a moment, doesn't mean it's just a moment. <laughs> it can be, any moment can be super defining. A moment can transform the rest of your life, right? The moment you met your future spouse, right? It was just a moment. You met lots of other people from the opposite sex, and those moments didn't change anything, right? <laughs> this moment changed everything. So when it comes to time, the measurement of its importance and gravity isn't in length or duration, it's in depth, it's an impact. And we can have moments that are life-changing that last a couple minutes, a couple seconds, right? Or even longer periods of time. But those moments can change us. So the invitation is, let these moments, and I know we can't necessarily control it, <laughs> when I say let these moments be transformative and life-changing, I don't mean let them in the sense, okay, you guys do the work to make sure that these moments change you. What I mean is open yourselves up 
so that these moments with God's grace can transform life. Just like you didn't know the moment before you met your spouse that that was going to be a transformative moment. I say, hey, be, be careful today, you know, <laughs> get ready. It just happens, right? But you were disposed, right? You received it. And then you went along with it, right? Let these moments transform you just like Peter, James, and John's moment of experiencing Christ's glory transform you. Pray for that grace. Ask the Lord, hey, let these moments change me. Don't let my mind or my heart or distractions get in the way of what you want to do in this transformative, transfigurative moment in my life. And with this, we'll close. The hope is that these days in Galilee, and now as we head to Jerusalem, those days, they transfigure you. They change the way you're configured, the way you order your life, the way you order your thoughts the things you spend your time on. In some way, there should be a transfiguration, a change, a conversion, an alteration of who you are as a person, thanks to what you experience, what comes through your senses through this experience. Let's ask the Lord to do that in our hearts. Right? Again, it's not anything we can produce for ourselves, but we can only open ourselves up to it. Lord, please change me, transform me, Let these experiences, these graces, these conversations transfigure and change my heart and make me more like your son. Amen.